Everybody, how are you today? You doing well? Good? Ellie's doing good. My name's Jared Kirk. I'm the lead pastor for Newell Church. Thanks for joining us. I have a quick question for you today. Uh, did you get angry this week? <laughs> how about this? Did you drive this week? Boston's an angry town, man, and today we're talking about taking the anger of our lives and replacing it with peace. So I hope you'll take out your message notes that you were in your handout when you came in here today. And we're paying uh, special attention during this series, Fast From, Feast On. We're thinking about removing things from our life that need to go and replacing them with better things. Last week, we talked about uh, fasting from food, replacing that with prayer and with connection with God. And we're looking forward to the Easter season. Now, in three weeks is Easter, and we're believing that God's going to do a great work in hundreds of people through Renewal Church. But broader than that across the city, and I think he's got a role for you to play. In my neighborhood, uh, I live on a cul-de-sac. It's a weird spot in Boston. All my neighbors have come out to play. All the children are outside in the streets, and we're hanging out with all of our neighbors, and I've been praying, saying, God, would you give me that opportunity, help me to be bold, and invite these people that I love and that I care about to come hear about Jesus on Easter, and I hope you'll do the same thing with us. But today, we're talking about angry, and so I wanted to start with the top seven things that make Bostonians angry. Nobody's angry in Boston, right? So here's the top seven things that make Bostonians angry. Let me know if you agree with any of these. Number seven, walking more than 30 steps to a CVS. <laughs> Furious. Number six, any coffee that isn't Dunkin'. Anyone want iced coffee in February? That's how you know you're a Bostonian. Uh, number six, Searching for parking in Southie is bad. The number four things that make Bostonians angry, bad, fake Boston accents. You ever go home to your family in the Midwest and they're like, hey, did you pack your car? And you're like, I am going to stab your eyes out with a spoon if you finish that sentence. Uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe you're not that violent. We'll talk more about that anger thing later. The number three things that make Bostonians angry, the MBTA. All of it, whole thing. Orange line, green line, the fact that the silver line's even a thing, that's not, it's a bus. It's, it's a bus, okay? Number two, taxation without representation. Explain that to your neighbor who missed it. The number one thing that makes Bostonians angry, angry, Yankees suck! Today we're talking about anger, and this message is so important to me personally because in my own walk with God, dealing with anger in a godly way has maybe been the number one issue that I've had to deal with so that I can live and be more like Jesus. I, I didn't have really healthy examples of that when I was growing up in my family of origin, and so learning to deal with that in a godly way has been transformative for me. And I've really embarrassed myself a few times with my anger. Heather, my wife Heather, has some stories. But I remember one time that was so embarrassing. I, my son was littler than he is now. He was maybe four years old. And I can't remember what he did because it wasn't that big of a deal, right? And I, I, I started to get angry, and my face starts getting bright red. And the veins start bulging out of my neck. And I start leaning over, yelling at him, towering over him. And 
I realized I was so angry. I looked like I was about to get into a fight on the freeway. I looked like I was about to go into the octagon towards a little four-year-old. And I, so I realized it, and I just, I just walked out of the room because I had to compose myself again. And I was so embarrassed by that. As a matter of fact, as a grown man, I had to walk back into my four-year-old son, son's room, sit on the edge of his bed, and apologize to him for how I handled my anger. Now, over the years, God has brought me to better places, and uh, I'm not where I want to be yet, but because of God's help in my life, I'm also not where I was. And today, I want to help you deal with the anger in your life, because it's not just a me thing is what I've learned, that all of us have to, have to learn how to deal with our anger in a godly way. Like, we have to. Let, let me know if any of these have ever characterized your life. Um, you have lost a friend because of an angry outburst. Has that ever been, been you? You ever cut down somebody you love with your words? Like, you wouldn't say these words to a stranger you met on the street, but the people you love, you find these things coming out of your mouth, and you're like, I can't believe I said that. You ever spoken words that you wish you could take back out of anger? Have you ever, um, have you ever lost a relationship because of anger? And they disrespected you, and they were rude to you, and they treated you terribly, and, and you just couldn't let it go. And maybe to this day, you're still angry with that one person, and that anger is just simmering inside of you. Some of us have hurt people with our hands because of anger. Some of us have a critical and unforgiving spirit towards a, a specific person in our lives because of anger. Most of us have found that because of anger in our lives, we have left a trail of broken relationships and regret. Because when you express anger in healthy ways, it's constructive. But when you express anger in unhealthy and ungodly ways, it's destructive. Most of us default in our expressing our anger in unhealthy ways to one of two positions. We either move to silence or we move to violence. And when I say violence, I don't, always, I don't just mean hitting. I mean, we attack with our words, right? We go after the other person. And when I say silence, I mean we're not expressing the anger that we have right now in the moment, but maybe later we're going to go and sabotage their plans. Maybe we're going to make little comments and snip or snipe at them or twist the knife at them later because we're, we're angry about this other thing. But in the moment, we move to either silence or violence. And when you move to either silence or violence with your anger, you leave a trail of broken relationships and regrets in your wake. But that's not how God wants us to deal with anger. Because anger itself is not a bad thing, it's just an emotion. Emotions are those things that, you know, they just are. It's, it's what you do with them that makes all the difference. God gave you your emotions as a gift. Could you imagine going through life without emotions? That's terrible. God gave us anger as a gift. When anger is functioning properly, it's supposed to alert you to the presence of injustice in this world, right? But how many times is our anger, it's not about actual righteousness or justice. It's about self-righteousness. It's about fairness. It's about, it's about selfishness. So we have to learn to replace this anger with peace in our lives. And here's, here's what I've encountered over the years as I've taught about anger, and I've talked about silence and violence, that most people understand, that most of us would say like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, but we tend to minimize our anger or we tend to deny our anger. 
We tend to blame other people for our anger. We say, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I'm, we might say, I get angry sometimes, but I didn't, I didn't murder anybody. It's not that, that big of a deal. That all of us have this tendency to minimize because anger is self-rationalizing, right? When you're angry, you have a cause to be angry, don't you? And it's always their fault. It's never my fault. And so we minimize our anger. Jesus knew this tendency to minimize anger was so strong that he addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. Take out your notes that I mentioned already. The first verse on there today says this. This is the words of Jesus. He says, you've heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. And we think to ourselves, hey, that's great news, right? Like, hey, I might be angry sometimes, but I haven't murdered anybody. Well, that's exactly what they were saying in Jesus' time. So look at how he continues. He says, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And we think, oh, no, I might have a problem. And when the Bible talks about judgment, you know what it means? It's just talking about accountability before God. So God, God's going to hold you accountable for the things that you do and the words that you speak and the way that you live your life. I think most people agree that if there's a God, there's probably some accountability that comes along with that. But according to this, it's not just the ultimate expression of anger for which God holds us accountable, but it is all expressions of anger for which we're held accountable because look at what Jesus says. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the high council. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You see, Jesus looks at our tendency to minimize anger and we say, well, at least I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed the ultimate expression of anger. But he says, listen, murder is like someone planted seeds of anger in the human heart and it grew into a huge, mighty oak tree of bitterness and rage. You may not have murdered, but those same seeds of anger can be planted in your heart and they can bear bitter fruit as well. So you've got to address anger and exchange it for peace in your life. Now, with anger, I mentioned this, anger's a good thing, but it's all about how you respond to it. So, so look in your notes, there's five possible responses to my anger. And after we look at these five possible responses, I'm gonna give you some practical ways to deal with anger in a godly way. But here's five possible responses to my anger. The first one is to satisfy it. Write that down. To satisfy your anger is to get revenge on the person who's hurt you. So the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible, Cain gets angry at his brother Abel, and he murders him. He just takes it out on him. You ever, you ever get angry and just take it out on people? Man, you, you, you become a master of psychological warfare. You know how to twist the knife. You know how to make them hurt. And when somebody wrongs you, you say, man, revenge is a dish best served cold. I am going to make you pay. That's satisfying your anger. Here's a second thing you can do with it. You can express it. You get loud. Do you yell? Do you shout? Do we have any Italians in the house? You know what I'm talking about? Some people get loud with their, their anger. The Bible would say, hot temper start a fight, a calm, cool spirit keeps the peace. Some of you grew up in angry homes where your parents were just expressing their anger all the time. When you express your anger, it feels really good to you, but is it really accomplishing what you want it to? Oh yeah, sure, you, you get angry at your employees, they may do what you wanna do, but then they will absolutely, when you're not looking, they will submit their resume somewhere else. Right? You can express it. A third thing you can do with it is you can displace it. Displacing your anger is, um, anger is like um, when lightning strikes a lightning rod at the top of a building. It has to find its way all the way down to the ground. Lightning will find a path down and it will destroy everything it touches on the way. 
When you get angry, that anger has to go somewhere. And so you could maybe express it out loud like we talked about, or you could, uh, you could come home and yell at your family instead of your coworkers. We, you know, we, we, we talk about this. We have a saying that you come home and kick the dog, right, which is a way of saying you're taking out your anger where, where it doesn't belong. That's displacing your anger. You can also turn your anger inwards on yourself, and it will literally destroy your body physically. You get ulcers, you get pain, you get depression, which is anger turned against yourself, turned inward on yourself. Anger can destroy you when you displace it. You can also repress it or suppress it. This is for those of you who tend more towards silence than violence. Have you ever pretended like you're not angry in the moment because you just didn't know how to express it, you didn't know how to say it? And then later you're gonna come around behind them and sabotage their plans. Later, you're going, to come, you're going to come around with sarcasm. It's called being passive aggressive. And it's not that you're not angry. It's just that you're going to make them pay a little later. That's a form of suppressing your anger. You're retreating into silence. You're not saying what you really feel. You're pretending not to be angry, but you get icy. Some of you will lock yourself in rooms for days. Some of you will not speak to people for days to punish them with your anger. It doesn't look like a loud outburst, but it is suppressed anger. So those are the four, four ways, the first four ways you can deal with your anger, and all of these lead to destruction. All of these lead to broken relationships. But there is a fifth way to respond to my anger. I can give it. I can give it to God. When you are angry and you give your anger to God, you are processing your anger in a healthy way. The Psalms, which is a book of prayers, which are also songs, right in the dead center of your Bible, is full of example of people giving their anger to God, praying their anger to God, pouring out their anger in God's presence, processing it in God's presence, expressing it in healthy and godly ways. You can give your anger to God. And some of you are here today and you're an angry person. And the more you're listening, the more you're, you're, you're coming to terms with the fact you say, I'm an angry person, and I've been destroying a lot of things in my life. That anger is like a burden on your soul, and it's a burden that God wants to take from you. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You can give the anger to God. And when you do, you'll discover peace in your life. It's not that you'll never get angry. That's not realistic. But that instead of constantly being angry and constantly destroying relationships, you'll have peace. You can process your anger in his presence and you don't have to handle it alone. So we're going to look for the rest of our time today at four steps to giving my anger to God. How do I deal with it in a healthy way, a godly way, a biblical way? And this is on the inside of your message notes. Here's the first step to giving my anger to God. Identify what triggers my anger. Most of us have surface level things that trigger our anger. Late people get me. Um, my wife's a very responsible person, so irresponsible people get her. Some, sometimes it's just pet peeves that you have where things get you and they just make you angry. You have any of those pet peeves? That's a trigger. 
but it's a surface level thing. Oftentimes there's something deeper underneath those triggers. Now, I would say this before I move on from that, that idea, that it is important to know those just regular things in your life that cause you to be angry because if you wanna have self-control, you need to go into those situations being aware of your response and how you're gonna handle that. But there's oftentimes a deeper thing, a deeper trigger at work in our lives. Because anger is a secondary emotion. What I mean by that is you often feel something else first. So I feel hurt and I get angry. I feel scared and then I get angry. I feel disrespected and then I get angry. And so there's oftentimes when you're angry, there's things happening underneath the surface of your life. And this is what the Bible says in James chapter 4. James 4, 1 and 2 says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? In other words, why are you guys so angry with each other? He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. The book of James connects anger with desire. And so here's how that works. I, I want something, and anything that blocks me from it, any obstacle to that, any person, anything, any object that gets in my way, I become furious with because they're blocking me from getting my desires. When the book of James connects desire and anger, it's also connecting worship and anger. Because your highest desire in your life, your ultimate desire, the thing that you want more than anything else in your world, you're worshiping that, whether you mean to or not. And if your highest desire is something in this creation, in this world, whether that's people or power or possessions or positions, if, what, if your highest desire is in this world and someone blocks you from getting it, you will become furiously angry. You'll, you'll lose all control. But if the highest desire of your life is knowing and pleasing God, there's, that, there's, really, there's really nothing that can keep that from you. The, the most difficult situations in your life, the, the hardest trials, the most frustrating people, all of those can press you closer to God. And so they don't become obstacles to knowing God. They actually become helps and treasures as you're, as you're trying to know God. And so we don't need anger management as much as we need worship realignment in our hearts. You've got to look at the desires that you have that are triggering your anger. Now, that's a little esoteric, so let me give you some examples of how that works. You might have a desire for well-behaved kids that actually causes you to get so angry with your children when they misbehave that you're ruining your kids. You might have a desire to be successful at work that causes you to get so angry with your coworkers that you destroy your reputation at work. You might have a desire for something like sleep that causes you to get so angry at your roommates that you've ruined your relationship with them. You might have a desire to be loved that causes you to get angry at your boyfriend or girlfriend when they can't meet your expectations, and you end up driving them away with your anger. You've got to face what desires you have that are causing you to get that angry and flying off the handle. You have to identify what triggers your anger, and then you can deal with it. And when you know that, you can have peace. Because you can be in the exact same situation that used to cause you to get angry and then not be angry anymore because your desires have changed. So that's the first thing. Identify what triggers my anger. Here's the second step to giving my anger to God. 
pause and pray when my temper is rising. Pause and pray when my temper is rising. Here's what I've learned as an angry person (laughs) for the last 20, 30 years of my life. Anger management techniques can be really helpful. They they can be helpful at times, right? Like when people come to me with these just crazy high levels of emotion, I I take a step back, I take deep breaths, right? I I just calm down before I respond to them. When When I start getting really, really worked up, I may step out of the room for a second to compose myself and come back in. I try to put my anger into words and I say, I'm angry right now because instead of just yelling or screaming or something like that. Right, so the anger management techniques are helpful. It's good to learn and grow and put those into place in your life. However, I've also discovered that you can have every technique memorized and still not have the power you need to have self-control in the moment when things are making you angry. Where does that power come from? That power comes when you pray. Like, this is one of the things where, in my own life personally, I told you this was a, this was a big one for me, is, is what I've discovered is that when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a gift. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help you become more like Jesus. That's one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs in your life, to make you look more like Christ. <laughs> and it, in my life, that has meant I needed to develop self-control. And that's one of the things the Holy Spirit gives you, self-control. It's, the Bible calls it the, part of the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, God returns control of you to you. You have self-control once again. But you cannot tap into the power that God has for you to live a different kind of life unless you stop and pray and talk to God. So when your temper's rising, stop, pray, stay in control. Proverbs 4.29 says, those who control their anger have great understanding. Those with a hasty temper will make mistakes. You don't want the mistakes that come with a quick temper. You can't take most of that back. Words you can't take back, hurts and hits that can't be undone, you have to pause and pray before you re-engage. Ephesians 6.18 talks about this. It says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Underline that phrase, on every occasion, in your notes. So let me ask you a question. (laughs) It's just, I'm just going to say, is the only time you pray before bed, do your prayers still rhyme? (laughs) God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. Food and good don't rhyme. Like, that one never even made sense to me. If your prayers still rhyme, listen, God wants you to experience the joy and power to change that comes when you connect your prayer life to your emotional life. And until you connect your prayer life, your spiritual life, and your emotional life, you will be spiritually immature and emotionally immature at the same time. God intends you to have access to his spirit and the power to change when you are in that moment and you feel your temper rising. So stop and pray I mean, why would you have that kind of power available to you, but you never take hold of it? That's crazy. Pause and pray. And then you'll be giving your anger to God in the moment when you're angry, and it can be replaced with peace. All right, number three, the third step to giving my anger to God. Leave the vengeance to God and respond with love. Leave the vengeance to God and respond with love. 
When we get angry, we become experts at making other people pay. It might be loud, it might be quiet, it might be silence, it might be violence. We, we just want to hurt them, we might destroy their work, we might sabotage something they love or that they're working on. They may, they may be really looking forward to this trip and this vacation and we just sabotage it by sulking the whole time, but we are gonna make them pay. Contrast this, this very natural human response with the way of Jesus in Romans 12, 18 through 20, it talks about the way of Jesus. It says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Now circle that phrase, righteous anger of God. That is so important. One of the reasons that we have to leave our vengeance to God is that we always think our anger is righteous. But the book of James says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but we think our anger is righteous. You'll never hear someone say, I am so mad at her and it is all my fault. Because our anger is self-justifying. Our anger is not righteous, but God's anger is always righteous. Therefore, we leave that up to God, and it's our place to forgive, to love, to live in peace, to not make them pay, to love them, to help meet their needs, to pray for God's best for them, and believe that God's going to be the one who's going to sort things out. That takes faith, right? If there's, if there's no God who represents cosmic justice, then the only vengeance in this world is the vengeance of this world. So it takes faith to leave the vengeance to God and love people. And you know where this faith comes from? It comes from watching Jesus. This is exactly how Jesus lived. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is, the, this is what Christ did. And not only did Jesus set us an example, Jesus went so far beyond that on the cross. Because the cross is where God's anger at sin, well, let me explain that phrase for a second. When you love somebody, do you get angry when someone else hurts them? When you love somebody, does your blood boil when they hurt themselves? Of course it does. So God has anger because of sin, because he loves people. But instead of making us pay, instead of us experience the anger of God on the cross, Jesus took the anger of God onto himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have mercy, so that we could live in peace. When that, when that truth grips your heart, it gives you the power to live in the same way as Jesus, where, where you don't have to retaliate. You can leave that up to the God of justice. And you can just love people. You can just love people. And if you have experienced that grace from God, how much more so ought we to show it to other people? So you have to give the anger to God and trust in the Lord to be the perfect judge you can't be. Here's the fourth and final step for giving your anger to God. Accept responsibility for my response. So many times we attack people with hurtful words, we get angry, 
We word vomit all over the place. We try to stab and twist the knife with our words. And then we blame them for making us angry. But here's the thing. You are responsible for your response. So quick to blame other people, but you are responsible for your response. You can't control what they say to you, but you're responsible for your response. You, you can't always control whether you get angry, you feel that emotion, but you are responsible for how you respond to that. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are responsible for your response. <laughs> Some of you have been waiting to say that to this person for years. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour some water into this cup. I'm going to hit it, and then I'm going to ask you a seemingly obvious question, okay? Now the question. Why is there water on the floor? Yeah, you probably think it's because you hit the cup. (laughs) Like, what kind of idiot doesn't know why there's water on the floor. It's a trick question. There's water on the floor because there's water in the cup. No water in the cup. No water on the floor. You see, for so many of us, we're obsessed with other people hitting our cup, and we take no responsibility for the things that are coming out of us. Jesus says, from the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. He says it wouldn't come out of your cup unless it was in your cup to begin with. And we say, but, but you don't understand. He disrespects me in front of other people at the office. He hits my cup. Okay? But you don't understand. They're always pushing my buttons. They're always hitting my cup. Okay? But you don't understand. They are so demeaning to me and disrespectful. They're hitting my cup. I get it. But Jesus says it wouldn't come out of you unless it was in you. You've got to take responsibility for your response because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, the other way that you take responsibility for your response is to go one step further than that. Not only are you acknowledging that what comes out of you is what's from within you, but some of you, the things that have come out of you already have hurt other people. And you've left a trail of broken relationships in your, week, in, your, in, your, in your wake. And you need to take responsibility for your response by going back and making that relationship right. Jesus talked about the importance of this in Matthew 5. He says, if you're standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there beside the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. According to Jesus, it does no good to be dressed up in bright church clothes if the inside of you is full of darkness and anger and apathy. And you accept responsibility for your response when you make right what you've broken. So those are the four steps to giving your anger to God. And I know it's easier said than done. It's taken me years of fighting and growth and prayer to even get to where I am, and God knows I still have a long way to go. But my heart for you is, I know that there's some of you in here who are angry people. And I know your anger anger has 
bubbled and boiled over and you, you wish there was peace in your life. You long for peace in your life. I just wanna encourage you, you'll never find that peace in your life until you have peace with God. When you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, you get forgiveness for your past, a hope for the future, and the power to change today. Until you have the Holy Spirit giving you the power you need to change, your efforts to change yourself will always be met with frustration. And so if you want peace in your life, come to Jesus. Turn from your sin and follow him and he'll give you the power that you need to change. Now, I don't know how you deal with anger, how you tend to, whether you express it, you satisfy it, you repress it, you displace it, what you do. But my heart for you is that you would give it to God, that you would process your anger in a godly way and trade it for peace. And when you do that, this verse will be true of you. It's our memory verse for today. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God.